Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. We will get to the episode, I promise. But this is exciting news. I have to share it with you. The podcast is going visual. We are on YouTube. So if you enjoy watching podcasts, make sure you go to Moving the Needle Podcast on YouTube. So search it on your YouTube. You'll find it. Hit that subscribe button and then watch some of the clips if you don't mind. Maybe leave some comment. Let's get some engagement because the more we get the YouTube out there, the more I can get awesome guests. And that's probably the biggest thank you you can do for me right now. Let's build up that YouTube. So share it with some friends. Check those clips. Leave us some comments. And I uh, appreciate that, man. Let's get to the episode. Welcome back, sports fans. Another episode here of Moving the Needle podcast. Thanks so much for all the message you've been sending in and uh, exciting guest on the podcast. I get to call him a World Cup winner. Um, I don't know if it's even sunk in for him after an incredible season in 2022, but man, stepping it up beyond uh, beyond belief. I mean, I'm not surprised seeing your consistency, but uh, I mean, I want to start not digging into it, but I mean, I get to call you a World Cup winner. How does it feel like now that the season's unwound, you've had an off season to sort of go on holiday? probably back training a bit um yeah sounds pretty sick uh stoked to be on the podcast and thank you so yeah i mean sounds pretty cool to be a world cup winner but i mean after the first one you always want more and that's the goal but yeah of course it feels good yeah i mean you no one gets to take that away but it's (laughs) it seems like with your podiums it's pretty cool that you came out swinging so many back-to-back because, uh, well, at least I can say that I didn't get one straight away and then it starts kind of uh, the weight is on your shoulders even though you're performing well, but your expectations rise. Like, how have how has it been managing expectations on yourself? Not from the industry because you seem pretty grounded, but I would suspect they come from you. Um, I don't know. Expectations, it's mostly just from my side i think because the team team side is super easy like lloydy the team manager dan brown which is the actual team manager but not with us at the races they never put any pressure on me or charlie so it's super easy in the team and yeah maybe i felt a bit of pressure in the beginning when i joined the team because i mean it was a big step for me joining the athletes but after two or three races i was pretty chill and yeah living the good life since then. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I remember after finishing my season last year, where I had, was it four podiums a row, I think? Got to be careful. I feel like it four, was five. Yeah. yeah, I had five podiums. Was it four or five? I had, yeah, four. Four in a row, but five podiums in total. So I had, like, the pressure was pretty big on my side. Or, like, I was expecting a lot for the next season and I was crazy nervous for 2023 that's for sure but that's just from my side from nobody else I mean you've had such a fascinating journey but maybe before we get into it you've been on holiday is it a big thing for you to take a break after the season or is this a new thing to like get away how much how important is that um yeah I did it last year the first time it was pretty much my first holiday ever i remember the last one was when i was in 
to school when I was nine or 10 years old. And since then I was just working or racing. So yeah, I never had time for it. And I think last year I could feel like just the whole media pressure and everything on side got a bit to me and I didn't really feel chilled anymore. So I thought I need to get away and just put my phone away, lay on the beach, try surfing and stuff like this. And it really helped last year. I came back from from Hawaii last year and I was just different person again, super chilled again and super keen to start training. And this year the same happened. Went to Thailand with my girlfriend and now I'm back training since two weeks and yeah, super greedy again. <laughs> I think that's why Greg's done so well is the balance he's been able to achieve. Obviously he keeps really busy and training and he puts the downhill bike away. I think he can realize now he, he, he can't do that as much with say the downhill bike and leave it till just before the season. The times have certainly changed, but I think what you're doing is it's really good. You've got to be body and mind like refreshed. So how was, uh, how was Thailand? It was obviously online. Are you sure you haven't got a concussion from the surf crash, the standing wave? <laughs> oh god i i wasn't sure on the first on the first one I, I hit my head pretty bad like pretty bad and then how do you call it i saw like a little like flashlight when i hit the floor i was like oh god this could be pretty bad but luckily nothing happened just a stiff neck which got better like two days ago um thanks to my physio um but yeah was lucky on this one i guess and the funny the funny part in this one i told my girlfriend I uh, do whatever you want to do. Just be careful. Don't hit your head like this on the back. And I did it. I felt so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it was sick. Sorry. Where did you go? Which islands? I've been like uh, way back also to uh, with the boys just to switch off after a season. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I remember. I saw, was it like you went with Greg or who was on the trip? Brandog? Oh, no, this is a, no, while ago. Oh, I went a second time with Brendog for, no, that was for Brendog's um, stag do, his bachelor's. Oh, okay, okay. So I did that. Yeah, that's where we, uh, we sort of, yeah, we did some scooter motocross pretty much most of the time. <laughs> yeah, the scooters <laughs> are insane there. I think I paid 22 euros for a four-day scooter rent or something. It's so sick. It's so much fun just going by the cars. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but um, And we what, uh, to, what islands did you do? We did two days of Bangkok, which is definitely enough for me. The city is crazy. And then we flew down to Krabi, which is still, how do you call it when it's not an island? <laughs> um, mainland. Yeah, yeah, it's just part still, of the mainland, but on the coast. Yeah, that's it. Which was pretty sick. It's quite a bit of a party area, but it was pretty cool. And then we went to Phuket, which is, I guess, the most famous place in Thailand. And it's um, island trips to Hong Island and Serene Island, which was insane. Serene Island is, I think, more of the quiet ones now, and or still. And it's really sick. Like the water there. Poof. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good place probably for you because you could sort of ski and stuff in your winter, and that's kind of that would be holiday for me being South African. And I remember going on a snowboard trip, but it was kind of pre-season, so I kept it very quiet. 
thinking, you know, if I get hurt on this, I'm going to have to make up a story that it was on a motocross bike. And I <laughs> did end up colliding with a friend, twisting my knee, having to go for an x-ray. So when I saw your crash on the surfboard, I was just laughing. I'm like, imagine he has to phone Brownie and be like, oh, I'm a little bit delayed with my training. Like I've got an injury from a standing wave. Like you, you race the whole year unscathed and then you go on holiday. Like these things could happen, I guess. It could happen, but yeah, luckily it didn't. But every time I do something like this, I'm scared about doing it. And yeah, you should not think about it. Same with skiing. But skiing is something, it's such a part of my life, I need to do it. Imagine, you I mean, you shouldn't think when you race downhill, so I guess. But it's hard when you're not pro, pro at a hobby, right? Because then you're learning and you have to think of it, but that's actually doing you a disservice yeah. at times. Just as soon as you start to think about it, something will happen, I think. Just in, enjoy it and do so it. So what we were saying, yeah, we were saying before you came on, you're not that good at skiing, but I mean, surely you grew up in the mountains. You've got to be pretty I good. Mean, I'm maybe pretty good for other countries, but if you take Austria, like the amount of talent in Austria for skiing is insane. So I don't really see myself as a good skier, but I did free skiing till I was 16. And I think I was all right. I actually won a contest once. I'm pretty proud. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for the level now, it's insane what, what them boys are doing. Triple flips is normal for 14 year old kids, I think. So what what John what are those skis you got like what type of skiing you doing on on the daily like I don't um, know all the genres you know I'm pretty much just doing ski touring now just hike up a mountain search for a cycline ski down that's it just in, endurance training that's my my type of road biking I would say because I'm not a big fan of long pedaling on the roads and stuff like that. so. I'd rather hike up a mountain and it's just more fun. And just normal skiing, powder skiing, pretty much everything, I guess. Yeah, Nino does quite a lot of touring in the winter. And if it works for him for cardio, I'm pretty sure it could work for a downhiller. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, you climb up mountains, which are, I don't know, 2,500 meters in my area. So you also have the altitude training and everything. And if you need to hike in powder, it's crazy, crazy hard. Yeah, it's horrible. So uh, your upbringing, was there a time when you wanted to be a pro skier? Like as an Austrian, as you said, is that most kids in primary school, they're looking at their idols are kind of skiing because it's such a big sport there. Um, I never really wanted to be a, a pro skier. I had it in my mind, but... It wasn't really like, I really want this. It was just like, I do it because everybody's doing it in my area. And I think I was, I was actually pretty good when I was like 10, 10 ish, something like this. But then I, I lost, I lost it a little bit and just did it for, for fun. And yeah, when I, when I tried downhill biking, this was for me, that was the end for skiing. And so yeah, you elaborate a little bit more on that, trying downhill biking, what sort of age, what mountain, is it Schladming? Is that the local one for you? Um, I always, I mean, I always biked in the, in the woods next to our house and stuff like this, but just on a hardtail jump, build a little jump and stuff like this, which pretty much every kid does it in his childhood. 
but then I had Schlappmeng and watched the World Cups, watched you race, watched G, everybody racing there. Oh, and... no, me. <laughs> <laughs> now you make me feel old. <laughs> How old are you, by the way? I don't know. I'm 39. So, 39, so what one year? year Can you remember G? the... Yeah, I'm one. Yeah, I think one year older than him, and and that, yeah, there's, so there's one year older than him and Sam. So what's what was the year you remember? Do you remember the year of going to the Sladming downhill for the first time? I think I remember 07, 08, and 09. Didn't you do a podium on one of them? I'm not sure. No, impossible because I was on a mongoose, but I got tenth, which I <laughs> feel like for me is a podium on that bike. I'm just gonna leave yeah. that there. <laughs> but uh no i love that track but it was dude it was a disaster on that bike absolute absolute disaster yeah when i got 10th gwyn got ninth and it rained and that's when i was uh, that's when i really thought we're in trouble here because if he first year sort of doing a few world cups like i could understand mountain and but i couldn't understand that he could do so well when it's mud tires and and, they, and back then there were quite gnarly root sections in the woods like it that was insane proper. yeah it wasn't just out in the open and that i was like we're all screwed if he can ride the rain already so yeah, that was interesting but back to your first experience, like watching riders, because I also got to watch a World Cup in Stellenbosch when I was 12, maybe, and did the Citizens Downhill. So I'm, it's bringing back memories. I can relate when you see these guys there and you just think, I, I want to do this. I think I want to do yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, I was I was fascinated by, by the sport and everything, especially Forecross, I think, was the sickest part of the, the whole weekend was so sick to watch. So I still hope Forecross is coming back one day. But yeah, it was just, it was so cool to watch. But I remember I told my mom, I probably will never do this because it looks so dangerous. And she kind of, I think she kind of helped me into the sport. She always bought me the best helmet or the best just like full face helmet. Even though I didn't do downhill or anything like this, she like always had a, a look on me that I'm, going safe up there and stuff like this. And then she paid me a bike rent, or how do you call it, a day to rent a downhill bike in Shatming. It was like uh, giant, how is it called, glory, where the, the shock is like out of the frame on the lower tube. Must be 2011. There was a glory. I, I mean, their bike yeah. has been glory since... They made a downhill bike pretty much. I think it was a glory all the time, yeah. So I did one day there, and then the, the year after, I bought a freeride bike, started to do a bit more, I guess like three or four times in the bike park. And 2012, I started to really um, ride downhill, buy a season ticket, buy a downhill bike, and then three weeks later, I started to race. And yeah, since then, that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, what's it like looking back to that? I mean, you've got to the pinnacle of the sport. I mean, I know when you're a kid, you probably don't have those sort of goals. You just want a season pass and then maybe a friend takes you to IXS. And yeah. I mean, I didn't have those aspirations. I saw those guys like, wow, this would be amazing. They do this for a job. But I didn't really grow up with goals on my wall of world champion or world cup winner, you know? 
Uh, same, same for me. I think I never, I never had the goal when I started biking and and actual downhill riding. I didn't have any goal to to be a racer or something. I think it's just in in my blood. I would say I always I used to race when I was skiing as a kid, and I think just everything I touch, I want to uh, be competitive. And yeah, like I said, three weeks after I bought the bike. I straight signed Austrian champs just in the fun category, but I straight wanted to do a downhill race and actually did really bad. I got 45th from like 65 or something, crashed three times, schlappening in the mud as well. And still, still, I was stoked after that day and couldn't wait to go to the next race. And from that day on, I could see like there's something in me with what just wants to race my bike as hard as possible <laughs> you're definitely a guy that's never given up i think the story is amazing especially because it wasn't straight to a team or junior crazy results and you even had a full-time job like there is a world where andy Cole didn't win a world cup like it could have easily happened right i mean i'm when i started racing i was a car mechanic since a year or something yeah need to think sorry yeah i was a car mechanic from 2011 till 2017 so with the money i i own wait, uh, wait whoa, whoa. six years six yeah, years yeah. of being a car mechanic yeah that long <laughs> yeah it was too long <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well yeah i'm sure it feels like it forever, now hopefully um Dude, yeah. how, how I mean, many World Cup winners had a full-time job for six years? I don't think I don't know. many. Probably not too many. I, don't, I mean, most most pros haven't had a proper job. Well, this in this new crop of riders at your age, I don't think they've had a full-time job that long. No, I don't know anybody, no. I need to think. I don't know what, what did um, Benoit do. Maybe Benoit could, could be one. He could be a part-time job, off-season job. We'd have to check into that. I mean, that might what? be, but you and have the... Ha, ha. What about Dakota Norton? What was he doing? Yeah, but full-time? Well, Techni hasn't won a World Cup. So, mm. there's Split that. Times. Split times. Definitely show sure. No, I mean, definitely can. Six years as a car mechanic. All while trying to make it as a pro. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I I stopped working full-time in the last year, maybe one and a half last year. I started to work less, like 30 hours, and then the last few months were like 20-hour week. That was well, maybe 25-hour. And then I did another season of working in the in a ski rental shop. So 17 to 18 was ski rental shop because I could earn a bit more money for less work. What did, did you, your employee must have not liked you when you asked to get off for all these races? <laughs> um, no, nah, he wasn't too impressed also with all my injuries I had because he, I remember he gave me a holiday for a month. I went to New Zealand, which was, yeah, I spent all my money on it. Went there, had the sickest month of my life, and then I, 
uh, did my shoulder AC joint at the last step up in Rotorua at the race, the very last day, and came home and I had to tell him, yeah, I will be out for at least two months or something like this. Can't work. Which, to be fair, I think I was back in the workshop after one and a half months, but it wasn't good for the shoulder, that's for sure. I just didn't want to be or wanted to get fired or anything. So I came back early and straight back to work like like this. And three weeks later, I did the next shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've had some injuries for for how consistent you've been lately. And how, I mean, I'm really impressed with your riding style and everything looks well managed and you plan out your runs. So it seems like it's not like some other riders like Amri or Tebow where it looks like the ragged edge. But it seems like you were forced to learn to ride like that with all these injuries leading to this this period of success. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, after the first few ones, I didn't learn anything from about it. I just jumped back on the bike without training much and just tried to go as fast as possible straight again. And then at the next injury, the next injury, and it was just like the same thing every year, maybe twice a year. And then Pecky, he stopped racing 2017. And I think that's my biggest turning point in my career. Um, Pecky stopped last race in Leo Gang IXS Cup. I straight went to him and said, you stopped racing now, you can be my trainer now. And since then he's supporting me and I think he just showed me that I don't need to be that aggressive. I can ride easier, focus on like exit speed and stuff like this, focus on my breathing. And with stuff like this, I will be faster than just trying to be quick in the rock garden in Maribor, for example. That was one of the most important sections for me. I need to be fast there. It doesn't matter on the next corner, but the rock garden needs to be important. <laughs> Why? Did you show off to people what? Or just yeah, I like think, an ego thing. Uh, kind of was for me, maybe. Yeah, just I knew I was, I'm a, I was always good in technical sections because I grew up in sharpening and the roots and everything. I guess. So if there was a tech section on a track, this was like the section for me. I need to be good in this one. But if there was an easy left hander with no berm, I absolutely sucked. <laughs> so so you go up to pickle. You obviously knew him, and you basically told him, you're now going to coach and mentor me. Yep. Because <laughs> what, what did you see? In, in, what did you see? Did you see his preparation and dedication and success over the years? Like, Because um, not every I mean, rider would do that. Not every rider would, would realize they need help. Yeah, true, true. But, I mean, I've traveled with Pecky before. He was also in New Zealand on the same trip. And I think I was just fascinated by how professional he is. I, I was there with Trump and another friend, and we were just banging laps every day. Like, we nearly had no day off because we're in New Zealand. We're just a month here. We need to ride every day because that's what we need to do. And Pecky was there like, oh, no, I'm I'm having a day off today or I go to the gym, I do this. And yeah, we were just the opposite. And I think Pecky was always a guy who maybe didn't have the talent, but he worked super hard for it. And that's how he still managed to get a pro career and did a 
I don't know how many top tens. Still had a really good career. And I think it was just the looseness I had and maybe talent. I don't know. And his work ethic combined, I, I thought this could be good. Well, it's certainly been a, a really good partnership so far. And um, so what's some of the stuff he made you do that you hated? Or still um, hate? <laughs> need to think about it. I don't know. Maybe. I maybe guess it's tough to like say. <laughs> it's tough to say now because it's brought success. So it's not that bad. But maybe for the first year or two, you're like, why are we doing this stuff? Just want to write. Let, let's. Let's say riding slow. He made me ride slow so much. Just go slow. Today you go up there, you only use your front brake. Today you go up there, you just focus on your head position and stuff like this. Just, he gave every day I went on a, onto a downhill bike a reason like to focus on something else. And not, not like I did before. I just went to the bike park shopping and wanted to ride the secrets all day. And now he was like, he used this section, time it, hike back up, time it again, focus on this, time it again. And then, yeah, I think I hated it on the beginning. But if I think about it now, I really started to enjoy stuff like this. Just made two corners on a on a gravel road and I rode it for three hours, I think. There was like no rut before and afterwards was a 20 centimeter rut in a hard gravel road. So I think stuff like this helped me big time. Yeah, he's clearly brought structure to it, which I think is is super important. And, and that's what the Aussies used to do. I remember visiting Nathan Rennie, Sam Hill. This is when I was just a kid just wanting to bust laps. And if they would do these cuddies, you know, and just find a road and just do turns and learn. So, you know, you subconsciously learn balance and body position. Um, and they would just get these ruts going. And, uh, yeah, it's really, it's basics, isn't it? Like. It is, as much yeah. as people probably listening to this thinking, how how can it be that simple? Well, it's repetition and it's basics and it's go slow to go fast. And you gave away that secret apparently you didn't want to, but people have clearly heard. So it came from Pickle trying to ride just with your front brake. So that's teaching you front brake power and modulation, something probably not many races have even done. They've just maybe subconsciously knew it from being a kid and good good technique and maybe you missed the technique part because you just were a kid riding a downhill bike at Schladming, you know, for a whole season, you just wanted to shred. Yeah. I think also a big thing was like speed carrying for me because Schladming, you drop in and the speed is there. You never, you never struggle with speed. It's all, it's mostly too much speed. And then I came to flat tracks and I couldn't ride it because I braked in turns and just squared them up and no exit speed so yeah definitely helped me helped me a lot on body positioning and just yeah to to see racing totally different not just attack the track like nothing else right with some uh how do you call it um just a different mental strategy game. be clever cleverer yeah strategy yeah. Clever, yeah, 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 yeah. Smart riding, riding a track. Smart, not riding just with smart. aggression. Yeah, and that's crazy because that track at Leo Gang for your first podium and and first win. Yes, now it's got the steeps like Schladming, which makes sense that you can ride that so well. 
But there's a lot of place where you have to ride smart because you miss your braking point or you miss your exit speed. There's a long sort of motorway or there's all sorts of stuff. So it's crazy how it comes full circle on working on those things that you hated years ago. You know, like winning Leo Gang is not one week's work. It's like it was everything you were doing before it. Yeah, for sure. For me, it was a 10-year 10 10 year work. I mean, that can't be your only feeling of it, 10 years of work. But what, I mean, w dropping in at a home race, I've seen Greg do it. It's insane. I don't know how you deal with the pressure. But for you in Austria, in Leo Gang, like that first podium, like what was that? And that was after an injury as well. Like, is that because you didn't expect it at all? Um, you said the first podium or the first win, sorry. Yeah, the first po the first podium was bef just after an injury or something, like three yeah, weeks off. Was, if I got that right, I think it was like three three and a half weeks after a broken elbow. Yeah, like it wasn't a massive fracture. It was like the the end of the elbow was was broken off. But I was super lucky; it healed super quick, and I just went there to have fun. And I think yeah. It, it worked definitely, and since then I know how to race. You, you, you have been quoted as having fun and all that, but there's got to be tough times during a race weekend, or challenging times, or pressure, or nervousness, like just having fun. I mean, can you dig into that a little bit? How how do you deal with it when um, you're not having fun, or you're like, holy shit, like I want to do well at home. I know I can do well, but. That doesn't doesn't always feel fun, I, I would think. I mean, I think Leo Gang is a good example, maybe because every time I go there for for the World Cup, there's like huge pressure on me because everybody I meet there is just like, "Oh, are you gonna win this weekend? Like it was this year or last year? Maybe this is gonna be your first top ten. The year before it was like top twenty for sure. It's just people gonna put pressure on on you like nobody else." And I sometimes I struggle and I just don't have fun on days like this when it's getting too much for me. And when I realize it, I think I, I started to to realize it earlier now. When I don't have fun, I just go back up to the next run. And when I'm in the start hard, I just tell, tell myself, okay, this is going to be just for fun lap now. Don't push too hard. Just do whatever you want to do. Maybe... I don't know, just shroud the corner or do something stupid in front of our camera guy. I don't know. Um, and I think I just get into a different mindset again. And most of the times I also do like the fastest lap till then because the fun comes back and you start to ride free and you don't actually realize it. Just when you finish your run, you're like, oh, this is it. I'm back. I'm just having fun again. And that's how I need to ride my bike and not think about, I don't know, could this be the next podium today? It's just, yeah, ride free. So it puts you back in the present, but it's it's interesting that you consciously have to go, okay, well, I'm going to do a fun lap. People go, well, isn't riding a bike as a pro fun? But it's certainly not that fun when well, you're worried about lines or your speed or you know you've got the speed, but now you've got to deliver it, but that's in two days' time. Um, so that's super interesting that you'll go, okay, let's let's just consciously have a fun lap, 
not worry about lines and things like that and just kind of like hop around and get the flow right and then the speed sort of follows? I think I also need um, some support from outside, like Millway, for example. Sometimes when I stop, I, I do stop quite a lot on the track to watch and push back up. And um, when I stop and I see Kieron coming by or someone, they just look look like the fastest human on this planet. It just drops my mental game down pretty low. And then Milway comes up and tells me, dude, you just wrote that section faster than everybody else. And I was like, ah, I thought I'm way slower than everybody else. But yeah, it just, it looks faster from outside than it feels sometimes. And that's when it's perfect, I guess. But yeah, I think I need, I need a, a field of people around me, which support me with just good, good vibes. So now even this past year, if you stopped on track, you could easily psych yourself out because I can, I understand that a lot, you know, from stopping it, it the speed is ridiculous, but you're a podium guy, you're a race winner. So you've got to be damn well close to that speed. Um, but it's so tough to watch and like picture that you're going that fast. Yeah, I think that's it. I just struggle to to realize that I'm also going that fast. Especially on tracks like Valdisol, everybody looks crazy from the outside. And you feel you feel like you're crazy on the bike as well, but in like a bad way, I would say. So it feels like you hit every hole and you're just going slow and then you see everybody else that looks fast. So I think it's hard to to realize that you, that you actually go fast in this track. Yeah, that that's a good point. The the times when you actually not the speed, feeling terrible with your bike or the suspension, but it's probably just the track is that rough and everyone and else is feeling a, just as bad or worse. There's other tracks, Monson N for example, you feel like, dude, I'm going so fast, I can't go any faster. And then you see the splits from qualities and like, oh my God, I'm slow AF. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, those are not tracks. great days. Those are not yeah. that fun. When you see that, when you're like, <laughs> sure. I think I'm maxed out. This should be a good quality. And then you're like 12th. You're like, huh, <laughs> I think, wow, I there's think a 20s. lot of work to do. And I don't know where it's going to come from. <laughs> yeah. And I think qualities is a big one for me. I don't enjoy qualities too much because I can't ride free. I'm just a bit like, uh, hold it back. So qualities is never fun nearly. Sometimes. I mean, you qualified fastest at Lenzerheide or something. So is that just like a big confidence booster when you think, oh, I don't know if that run was that good, but now my pace is clearly there. I mean, when I came to Lenzerheide, I wanted to be in the top 10 for finals. Then I won qualities. I mean, that was pretty sick, but it also put too much pressure on me and then I screwed it. Uh, yeah, you said you had one of the biggest crashes you've ever had, probably. That was final. Same as you did well. You dropped the chain and still like performed. And that was the first time doing that new format as well. So these things will happen, yeah. I guess. First time qualifying that well, you know? Yeah, I think it was... It's funny. I worked with my mental coach quite a lot on the winter because I qualified first in Valdisol the year before, which was the last race. And... The day, the final day was the gnarliest day ever for me. I woke up, I nearly started crying because 
I was like, today could be the day or today I could throw everything away and just, yeah, I was, I was a crybaby on that day. And I was just thinking about being the last guy down and I was so scared, couldn't do my warm up, did so many mistakes on, on just the, the process to race run. And then I worked a lot on my mental game for something like this for 23 and for me, it was like, I want to be number one qualified the first race. I want to be number one qualified the first race. And then it happened. But yeah, then it switched to I want to I want to win my first World Cup straight away. I wanted too much. And I should have been happy with P1 in qualies. So that work in the offseason, what does that look like? I'm hearing a little bit like you deciding you want to be there versus when you are there like oh it's so scary it's uncomfortable it's something new um i mean for listeners at home it's so eerily quiet at the top you know maybe the last five riders and i imagine you the last rider there's no one at the top the fans have basically all moved down it's just you your mechanic and some random timers and commissaires yeah yeah, I couldn't really handle it last year, but 23 this year was nearly like I want to have this. Every time I didn't qualify well and I was in a park where I didn't know like who's in front of me, everything is moving so fast because the times are way tighter and everything. I'm, I was struggling a bit when I did uh, batting qualies and I always wanted to be last man down the hill now. I think this changed big time because now I know how it is and now I just want to be that guy. And winning winning a World Cup as the last man down the hill must be must be unreal as well. So that's maybe a goal for the future. Yeah, I mean that's that, that makes sense. Like if you can reframe it and and you want to be there. So I've like the feeling would still be quite uncomfortable, but saying, but I wanted this. You know, and, and, and Loic seems to be a guy that, you know, you know, and they say in other sports, you know, the Michael Jordan, like he wants the ball for that last shot, whether it goes in yeah. or not, he wants to take the shot. And, and if you, and if you commit to that, it's obviously a healthier place than maybe I'll take the last shot or this feels uncomfortable. So, but it takes work. Like it doesn't just happen for everyone to handle the pressure uh, mentally and your body feels different. I mean, that, that's a big thing. You feel so different, but I think it's just a, a thing you need to get used to it. It's like you qualify the World Cup, you're so nervous to be in the final on the next day. And then you do it twice, three, four times, it's normal. And I think it's the same if you qualify first or let's say the top five. Um, a couple of times it, it starts to get normal and you start to don't be nervous anymore. I mean, don't be nervous anymore is, is bullshit, but you not that crazy nervous anymore and for me just work with my mental coach talk about it and i think i just tell her my feelings and stuff like this we work on it and maybe some other stuff i should not mention secrets you don't um, you don't have to mention anything <laughs> although i do think it does your 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 work and your strategy and mental stuff is not going to work for anyone else that's that's it that's what True. makes it unique to you. And that's why these coaches are so good. You know, it's not one size fits all. When did you start working with her? You said it, uh, you did say it was a, a her. I think I started working with her in 2019. 
I think. Yeah. It's also Pecky knew her and he said, let's try this out. And I was like, yeah, I'm mentally so strong. I don't need a mental coach. And then I found out that I'm pretty weak. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. It is a newer, it's a newer thing. Like it has been used a lot in the past. I know Steve Pete uh, had, had help for sure. Greg Manai, he refuses, you know, he doesn't want to mess with anything, um, which I can understand as well if it's got you sending. But I think with the right attitude, it's like getting a trainer in the gym. Like you can always get your technique better, a riding coach, a physical coach. Yeah. You know, if you take the right inputs, like it is healthy to work on these things, you know, and maybe the learning is quicker. You make less mistakes. You're still going to be just as nervous at the top of the hill. They just maybe help you with some tools. Yeah, that's it. And I think for me, it shows more weakness if you can't go to a mental coach than you go to a mental coach. Because maybe it just shows that he, someone is scared to talk to someone else about his feelings and stuff like this. So... I don't know. For me, I could not do it without it. No, it's it's certainly helping. I I think it just gives you tools. Um, I think it's the same as therapy in life. You can look at it as life coaching. Um, it's only going to be beneficial, I think. If you find the right match, right? And and you've clearly found oh, the yeah. right match for you, you and Pickle. Like you've built this team that that works. And it is like a huge team effort, isn't it? It's crazy to think what goes into yeah, for sure. one three minute run down the hill you know it is crazy yeah we just raced the bike down the hill but the team on the side helps so much and i think i could i could never perform if ben my mechanic is i don't know super nervous or not the guy he is lloydy will put pressure on me or something else the people around me are the most important thing and i think that's why um Atherton racing is so good for me because everybody just uh awesome person in there and not to give away any details it did hear or it sounded like you had some really good offers after the 2022 season um and you and charlie had really sort of stepped up because that's a lot of big shoes to fill on the atherton on the one side but you could have easily taken a, a bigger offer or where you're the number one rider and they build the team around you. These sort of things happen after that many podiums. Teams will come. I'm not saying this did happen, but I know from back in the day, it's happened where people get pulled away from what's working to develop a new bike or get paid a really big salary um, and, and the career takes a dip for a year or two or sometimes longer. But it seems like you are super aware that you guys had a good thing going um, and you were happy with, uh, with the bike. Um, like how, how did that go do you speak to Pickle about that like where does that decision making process come from um, yeah I mean after 22 there was definitely a few offers on the table to go somewhere else but I mean Athens Racing is already one of the biggest teams on the circuit so going somewhere else would just be because you maybe get more money or something like this or if I would not feel at home with, with the boys, I would like to change, of course. But like, like it is for me, I feel I feel like there's no team out there where I could be uh, feeling any better or just have more fun. 
the bike is insane like it is one of the best bikes i'm pretty sure and just the good times we have i probably don't get it somewhere else maybe i get more money somewhere but will this make me happy one day i don't know i don't think so so yeah that's that's why i stayed and hopefully i will stay for a long time um but yeah pecky pecky helped me big time especially after the first year podiums there's a bit more money coming in you start to think about money which i never did before and the first question pecky asked me was like imagine you need to say no to athlete racing and go to a different team i was, I was like I, I probably would start crying if i would would leave charlie and the boys so yeah that was was not really an option and and where does that come from do you think like I would call you a working class hero, like working this full-time job, going through these injuries and coming out on top. And you see, you didn't really think about money. Like it wasn't a big goal of yours at all. Like it seems like you're so appreciative of being pro and having this opportunity because you could have easily been a car mechanic. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It, it certainly must be nicer to be where you are, but some people don't have that opportunity. But does that make sense in the question? Like, it seems like you've brought that appreciation to the sport and carry it on with you. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes I have my days where I'm like, I don't know, not enjoying it or I don't want to go to the gym and stuff like this. But then I just remind myself I could be working underneath a car right now, you know, burning my hands on a hot turbo and stuff like this. So it's definitely way better to go to a gym keep my body strong, eat healthy and stuff. Stuff like this definitely way better. And just the whole lifestyle we live. We get, we get to go to nice places, ride our bikes, meet sick people. So I think that's not a, not a better life possible. No, it's certainly not if you compare it to being under a, a car uh, with oil <laughs> dripping on you. Well, oh, I had an oil explosion once. I was like all over me, like old uh engine oil was all in my face that was probably the worst day I hot ever or had cold in the, in the workshop cold luckily luckily but sometimes oh you God. get hot hot oil in your face you know when you when you open the screw for the engine oil and it goes into the yeah, yeah, yeah. bucket and there's something in the bucket because your colleague leaves something in there and it just goes onto the glass or anything and straight in your face i had this one quite a few times i think yeah. Is that the shittest thing that happened to you in the car mechanic industry? A face full of oil? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> probably. Oh, maybe, you know, when you when you do welding, I was welding an old car and there's like the hot hot metal drops down and I had like open shoes in summer because it was always boiling hot in the workshop. It dropped into my shoe and I was just dancing for 20 seconds. It was... <laughs> burning in my shoe it was oh my god it was gnarly that's probably the the worst thing quite a big one so can you fix <laughs> can you fix your bike better than your mechanic nah nah definitely not i can probably fix my car better than ben but on bikes <laughs> i'm pretty i'm pretty shit in working on are you my quite derailer, shit like, considering you're yeah. good with cars yeah it's crazy i hate putting the chain in the right place and stuff like it's just like this like details small little details i'm pretty bad 
I think I can do everything, but not really nice. Let's say like this. I was like, I was a rough mechanic. Let's say like this. Yeah, with the cars as well. Yeah, I mean, cars is a rough job. It's not like fine details. Just put a new engine in. That's it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're working on older cars or like newer cars? Mm, pretty much mixed? everything. Pretty much everything from like Golf 1, it was on Volkswagen and Audi. Golf 1, 2, electric cars. The last thing I did was a, a little, how do you call it? Um, when you learn something about electric cars, don't find the word. My English is getting worse because of the winter. <laughs> um auto electrician where you do the electrics of the yeah. car yeah i did like a couple of days of school and stuff like this and then i stopped working two weeks after that my boss wasn't happy because he had to pay for that do you ever go back now and show him the medals and the trophies and shit uh i never showed him a medal or anything so i was never showing off but sometimes i go back for a coffee and I was talking to him about a new car the other day, but I think it's too expensive. Do you like cars? Like, do you do you like fast cars, cars, or is it just A to B for you? I, I definitely like cars. Um, RS4, RS6, because, I mean, um, I grew up working on Audi, so that's definitely the sickest cars, the old ones. like I had an RS4, maybe, 2000, I know, 2007. Yeah. You, you and Brandog. You and Brandog, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, that motor is carving. Uh, I think Charlie got a 07 as well. Charlie got a 07 as well. Oh, did he? If I'm allowed to say. Straight V8. That's uh, oh, so late. I, I do like want to chat like to him, this. so I'll, I'll ask him myself. Yeah, like a little older one. Yeah. Straight V8. That that motor, yeah. Clarkson says it's the top three motor he's ever driven, apparently. He's driven quite a lot so of cars. Sick. So I would trust sure, definitely. him. I, I don't know. I just I don't yeah. really like the style of new cars too much, so it's more old cars for me. Like a new yeah, RS6. I agree. Some of them look ah. a bit space age. Have you driven? Yeah, but like, it's it's pretty fantastic inside that when you drive it. I haven't driven it. But you, it's like a spaceship. Nah. It's the it's so yeah, heavy, guess. but it's but so fast they can compete with a Ferrari. Like it makes no sense that this huge thing can go that quick it's insane i think i would rather have an rs3 than an rs6 when i would get a new one uh for the money yeah it's like yeah, half the, the money, price yeah. and as much think, fun yeah yeah i drove an rs3 and it was sick so yeah i think so i think for if you want to have if it's for fun it's way better value of money and probably more fun and agile the new RS3 will be insane. That's like a go-kart. Yeah. That's a little yeah. mini F1 go-kart. Yeah. I just, I what about electric cars? Hey? Nah. Nah. I'm not a big fan of the whole electric like a, thing. Because <laughs> like a Tesla. I, I don't. Nah. No chance. No chance. I love <laughs> the sound way too much. And electric cars still don't make any sense to me. I mean, there's always like two perspectives, but I don't know. Let's stay with normal cars. Some sound. Same like motocross. Okay, so how... yeah, fair enough. Have you you haven't ridden a stock, have you? Is it called a stock? No, but 
Trauma got one. Trauma got one, and he just lives like 50 minutes from me as so, a yeah. I want to go the next couple weeks and try it. If he let me try it. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's something we can't avoid, but there's the purist in me too that likes petrol, petrol head. Um, that'd be interesting on a motorbike, like not because you sort of ride with the revs sometimes. Oh, I mean, I'm an amateur, but I feel like you use the revs and stuff and it you, it, you use your ears um, in a certain way. It's super interesting. Yeah, I think stock could be sick. Just no clutch and stuff like this could be weird. But especially for places like Austria, it can be really good because our tracks get shut down every year. And especially my local track close to Schlappming, you can ride Wednesday and Friday and one Saturday in a month. And like you have to do a lunch break and stuff like this because of the noise. So it's really annoying. Mm. True for that, it'd be pretty epic because if there's no noise pollution, you just need the land access. I mean, most motocross tracks are... That's it. Yeah, it's the noise pollution, isn't it? Yeah, that's why they shut them down. So maybe they're, they're reopening now so because we, of bikes like this. I will be sick. Have you got a motocross bike? Do you ride for training? Yeah, uh, I got a 150 KTM 2020. What, 150? Two-stroke? Two-stroke, yeah. Yeah, of course. Oh, that one is awesome. The 150 two-stroke. Oh, Don't yeah. you blow it up though? Does the gearbox <laughs> handle so it? Like, isn't yeah? Um, but doesn't it blow up a bit? The one fifty. I heard rumors, nah, but it's I don't Aust- know. Aust- Austrian quality can't be, can't be. Nah, I have no problem. Your point. I had my piston in it way too long. I think I had like fifty hours on the piston, which they told me was way too much. So luckily, nothing happened. But I got it for three years now, and it's. Sick. I have no problem at all. Trauma got the same as have well. Have you changed the piston so, yet? I I just changed it before holiday. So it's waiting there to And it, and it's and yeah. it's fine. It didn't blow up after fifty hours on a two stroke piston. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. But I think I'm a bit more on a low rev. That's why I got a one fifty. You don't need to rev it dead hard like a one two one two five. True. But true. Pretty good bike. So uh, how many World next, Cups next you have to win to buy an RS3? <laughs> I think maybe more than Greg Minard, I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. Do you like to save oh, yeah. do you save your pennies or what? Uh yeah, definitely. Um good. I'm not not spending it on stupid things or anything. Otherwise I would already buy a car, I guess. But I wanna buy a flat apartment next year so i'm saving for something like this so where's home then where in relation to schladming um, for me just, just to understand 15 minutes down the road from schladming it's not the way to leogang 15 minutes the other way oh the other to way Maribor on the way to leogang's rats is there a place called radstadt yeah that's on the Radstadt, way to yeah. leogang that's it yeah, because I, um, I had a friend that was in uh, Zalamze, um, and 
Yeah. I used to visit him when we were racing Leo Gang. So I kind of know some of those freeways and stuff. Cool. So you want to get a get a place there and then you're close to, to the mountains. Mm, probably in Graz, where I'm right now, which is in the south of Austria, close to Maribor. I moved there in the winter two, two or three years ago now for training. I just use it for for training in the winter. In the summer, it's always closed here. Well, my apartment is closed. Um, and I think I would just want to buy an apartment down here for training and save the money which I spend on the, on the rent right now because it's pretty expensive. Well, it seems like you got your head screwed on with your salary as well. It's never a bad thing because uh, this career will end at some stage, but it's definitely just getting going for you. You're 28 at the time of recording or 27? 27. I get 28 in March. Oh my God. Yeah. So I already said my age, but now I feel my age. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you got some years to go, man. You just get it going. That's awesome. I think that might be good for you, you know, like working so much, kind of a little bit late to factory rides and stuff like that. You're going to be less burnt out than the others. You know, Greg Manal sure. had over ten, 10 years of World Cup racing by the time he hit 27 you know he was racing as a junior at some of these world cups and stuff i think we need to yeah, i need me, to pack uh to, yeah for me i feel like 20 i guess so i'm still still young so let's see how long we can go maybe longer than greg <laughs> yeah right you reckon he's still going dude i saw him the other day it's i think insane. he's gonna still go a year or two Oh, for sure he is. I can't wait to see where he goes next year. But yeah, it's yeah, sick what, to see. You, you think, I think it's going to, if he, it sounds not speaking out of turn because he did mention stuff in the public. It sounds like he will race. It's something to do with that. That's the exciting part. But I have a sneaky feeling it he's like going to be more motivated now because like you have to test the new bike and everything's new and exciting and Maybe he's annoyed at how things ended. So, I mean, he could be around another year or two. I don't know. Like, he's already 42. <laughs> Is that yeah, not it's nuts? insane. It's insane. Like, I was on a chairlift with him in Leger this year, and he told me he's going to quit this season. And I was like, oh, shit, it's happening now. It's really happening. And then I think he changed his mind on the last two races this year. I was, I was kind of stoked to hear that he keeps going because he's such a legend and i think he's still enjoying it more than others so why not yeah if you if you're still enjoying it and he clearly loves the competitive nature of it some people get really burnt out on the pressures and stuff but he seems to really thrive on it so speaking of pressures you go and win after all the pressure was on you at lenzerheit like you have this uh, cool knack of bouncing back after, say, a disappointment or getting a podium and then another podium and then another one. Here, yeah, you qualified fastest, could have won, um, and you go and back it up straight away under more pressure, some would say. Definitely more pressure. I think I never had that, many, that much pressure on me like in Legang this year. Everybody was just expecting it, I guess, because of Lenzade. Everybody saw my pace is there. And nobody knew what would have happened without the crash. But I didn't expect it at all because, yeah. Leo Gang was still, to this year, not 
the track where I thought I'm the best on. Even I did my first podium there, I was feeling more like maybe I was lucky 22. And yeah, when I went out for a race run, I know I can do it again. But it was even more than the podium. So why do you think it's not the track? Um, I actually don't know why why I thought like this. Like now, now I think it is my my kind of track because everything is in it, especially like speed carrying, which I'm really good now. And the last wood section, how they taped it this year, I was kind of a hater on the beginning because I thought, wow, they made it so straight. All the sick turns we had before would have been so good because the weather is so good. But I think they did a sick job on the woods. It was unreal, crazy fast, but I think it was on the limit. And yeah, it's just sick track from top to bottom now. Luckily, finally, everybody was hating it for so long. And now we have a sick track at home. Let's take a quick break from this episode to hear from one of our awesome sponsors. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again, drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. Now let's get back to the show. I did think uh, in their de- in their defense, I also thought, oh, it looks so fast and straight and dangerous. You know, you're always worried about the riders. At least I am now yeah. on the, when I'm on the side of the track. Just want the riders. And of course they do too. Um, but I guess you've got to see how it rides and then adapt from there. But yeah, it looked like it rode really, really well. And, and it is kind of a track with everything, isn't it? You've got to be good on so many aspects of downhill to perform there. 
Yeah, I think it's also sick for like bike bike setup and stuff like this. Like you you would like this tire on on the woods, but the tire doesn't work on the top section, or you would like to go soft in the woods because you have more grip, but doesn't work for the top section. So it's like you always need to find a kind of balance for layer gang, and yeah, especially like key sections like the exit onto the motorway, which I fucked up a little bit. Um, it's just so important, which you don't have on other tracks, I guess. So what did you do coming onto motorway? Just laps of concentration, wrong line? Um, kind of both, I would say. I did a mistake in the on the first few stumps. I just went in too fast, I think, and nearly crashed. And then I thought, okay, now focus onto the exit, pedal onto the motorway, because Brownie, our teammate, just sent Ben, my mechanic, a message, you need to pedal onto the motorway. It's super important. Like Everybody who's doing that is going faster. And when I went into the last stumps, I already thought about the exit, like I need to pedal. And then I messed up the stumps. And then I run wide on the turn. I had to pedal in like loose gravel. And I think it was like 10 centimeters on the left. I made it onto the first wooden jump barely and then i cased the jump as well and i just thought this is not good at all and i actually thought about brownie that he's watching this at home and he will not be happy about me but from there on my mind just switched and i think i was really aggressive didn't make big mistakes anymore and the crowd just um lifted me down the hill i would say I was jumping to the last wood section and the crowd got wild. It was so good. And did you know when you crossed the line after the, those mistakes? Like, Actually, no. Because of those mistakes, do you think they actually helped you push harder at the bottom? Mm, pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. When I thought of, when I exited the, onto the motorway, I thought, fuck, I lost a lot of time right now. I think it was like a second, maybe more. I knew that. And the second in Leogang is quite a lot. So I just thought I need to go all in now to to see where we can end up. So. And do you normally get information at the top from Lloyd or Brownie up to Ben? Is that something you're open to? Um, we we always discussed it before the before the race, we were, or before the race run. Um, like Fort William, for example, I sent our junior up to the woods, or me and Charlie did, and he's he told me that there's a, a route which is taking out so many people and stuff like this. Just find sections on the track which are changing, get pictures up there, and just some information maybe others don't get. And... Yeah, like Brownie. If Brownie sees something, he's sending messages. And I kind of like it because it's better to know stuff like this than afterwards. I had it before. I was like, why did nobody tell me about this? Everybody was crashing in the turn before. Why Why did I not know about it? So I'm, I'm quite open for something else. Yeah, it's not easy to do though, um, being open to it, like to deal with what information to use and what to discard. I'm thinking back to a race where, yeah, there was a berm on a rock and it just got pushed and pushed. Normally, I wouldn't want information, but there you would certainly want to know. I mean, look, the berm's gone. You have to break and 
and go a little bit slow, at least you can save your run. So, yeah, it's interesting, but there's a time and a place, right? Sometimes too much information can be bad. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, just the most important information, it needs to be a perfect detail, not just there is a route in the corner. So you don't know, is it on the beginning of the corner? Is it on the end of the corner? Or where? where's the problem? You need a picture and the perfect description, I would say. Otherwise, the information is pointless and you're going to be scared losing time, probably. Yeah, and I guess if you're doubting a section, then getting information could help the doubt, right? If you're sending someone up there, there's a, clearly a, a reason for that. You're not just The junior's not just sending you a bunch of information that you didn't ask for, right? Yeah, that's it. I definitely don't want any information if there is nothing crazy happening. Otherwise, I think it's just making you doubt, like you say. And sometimes I ask Charlie if there's... Valdisol, we had it the last couple of years, a few times, the weather is changing. And if Charlie or me are first down the hill, we just say, okay, all good, or you've got to be careful in this section or in this section. Yeah, definitely. So you win this thing. I must tell you, that's one of the coolest finishes to race I've ever seen with you and Valley winning there. That that was under the atmosphere, like your is it was there was there relief or was it just like plain just happiness and excitement mm, i don't know if i would call it relief maybe kind of relief as well just to know i did it because i don't know why but I, for me it was always i want to win a world cup one day and to to know it a couple races before that i can win a world cup but I didn't do it, especially like Valdisol the year before. I thought this could be the day. Then I thought the same in Lenzerheide. And just that it happened at home. Everybody was there. My family, like they made like a little fan club, which was there the first time. And Vali winning before me. The crowd was the best crowd we ever had in Leoging, I think. So there's no better, better story, I think, for my first win. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, you 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 pretty, could pretty. Yeah. How do you call it? Emotional. I I tried to hold it back. I remember when Finn was on his run and he was back at the last split. I pretty much already knew this is it. I I got the win because the last section I had it just dialed, and I was like, "Don't cry, don't cry." And then when he crossed the line, I just couldn't hold anything. It was so many emotions. Dude, I can imagine. I mean, you couldn't write a better script. Like if some, you know, that's the script that needed to be written in, in Leo Gang and for you. But that doesn't, like it doesn't always work out like that, you know? Never. So no, to have that, like, no one can ever take that away, you know? Maybe this year it happened more often, like Benoit and Leger. I got second and I was, I was kind of bummed, but on the other side I was stoked because... Benoit surfed it so much and to see him uh, crowd surfing on I don't know how many thousand fans I think it was the best day it was the best outcome possible and he was probably feeling the same like I did in Leogang so yeah it's pretty cool to see as well yeah you you hit a good point there if you think about the scripts we wrote for downhill this year I mean the downhill riders just 
whatever you say about changes and the new season and this and that, I mean, the riders delivered and the scripts from Jordan being a junior winning the first one, then you win. Jackson getting his first one. Loic, the veteran, he manages to take the title. Uh, Benoit, I mean, that's just the best thing that could happen in Leger, best thing in Lear Gang. Uh, yeah. Jackson in Canada. I mean, okay, yeah, and he getting well. getting his getting his and getting his first one before that. You know, getting his redemption. Charlie, yeah, unexpected, but winning on home soil, so deservedly so. Someone new, different. You know, at World Champs. That's uh, sick. I think this year was probably one of the sickest season. Just so many people winning, not like win domination or. Sometimes Bruni, Piron domination kind of kind of sucks to see someone winning all the time. Because if you're the person, it's pretty sick. But yeah, like it was this year, it was perfect. Yeah, it's impressive to see it happen. But of course, the fan base, it, it unjustly so, it gets boring for the fans, even though it's an unbelievable feat that we should be so impressed with. I wonder if those dominations, those seasons can be dominated like that in the, in the past. I, I, I do believe you can go on a run and once you win one, you can reel off some more, but it just seems like the depth of people that can win now. Would you agree? Like that might be harder in the future for these sort of mm. four wins in a season to happen, five wins. Like where are you at with that? I mean, I know I'm going to be proved wrong. I hope I am. I think confidence can just spur on a rider to go on a run, but it seems like, it's less likely. I think it's maybe maybe the suspension tires. Everything is getting better. So just material. Everybody is like coming closer and closer together. While a couple of years ago, I think a few teams had better suspension. Other teams had better tires and stuff like this, which is not the case anymore, I think. It's a bit closer together. But still, if a guy like Piron comes in the, in a row like in a flow and just gets a feeling again I, I think he can do it again and also I don't know if if I get my shit together and just stop doing these stupid mistakes I do sometimes maybe I could be a guy as well and Bruni or Charlie I don't know it's I think it's still possible to win four or five races in a season not not like a perfect season like motocross but Let's say four races. Yeah. I, I I mean, I stand by saying it's maybe a little less likely, but I do think, like you say, it can happen because when someone goes on a run um, and everything starts to click at 100% can happen. Yeah, it's interesting. Motocross, you've got more time. Like the cream will rise to the crop in downhill. So many variables. Even yeah, the weather, and- course conditions here and there. Like you're, you're riding similar weather, but, you know, like a flat can happen. These crashes can happen because you're having to push so hard on, a, say, a three-minute track. You can't hold back. That's it. In motocross, you can do a mistake, get down to fifth place and still go to first again. Downhill, you do a big mistake and that's it. Like You're never, you're never going to win a World Cup anymore with a massive mistake, I think. Maybe if you... Maybe if you peer on, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the... Who knows? It depends on the track and, and what's going on. Yeah, if you have one of the best runs of your life and you have a mistake, maybe. 
shucks man what a sport hey it's so cool um and world champs as well i mean we spoke a bit about it your teammate goes on to win there you came across the line and all we could see was your reaction but how much of that because i've heard you say that you actually were disappointed angry because you could see the timing board ahead coming to the finish because it seemed like your first reaction was so happy for charlie and of course you were but there's got to be a level of disappointment first. Oh, yeah. When I crossed the line, I was not happy at all because already on the last jump, I saw I saw red, red, red on the last two splits, I think. And I knew it's going to be red again. Crossed the line, first thing I heard, second place. And I remember I was just staring into nowhere like, oh, my God, second place. Yeah, it's probably not even going to be a medal. That's the first thought I had because for me, my goal was a medal this year. And then I turned around, looked at my name, looked up, Charlie Head. And I was like, what the? <laughs> I couldn't believe it nearly. Even in practice, he was smoking me anyway. So I, I knew he, he got the pace, but still to see it black on white, it's something different. And it was just pure excitement for me because Charlie deserves it so much. I think he's one of the most underrated riders ever. And to see him finally pull it together was just insane. Because if we go out on the ride, he's a better rider than me, I would say. And just racing, I think he was unlucky so many times and maybe had some mental problems. I think he struggle to ride free sometimes but then to do it at world champs at home I mean, <laughs> that's another story which you could not ride any better so when you guys are riding maybe testing and stuff like that or just doing some laps like you are often impressed with his bike skill and and speed and sort of raw talent especially if we go on a track we don't know charlie always goes first pretty much because i know He's going to be on my tail, just nearly touching my tires. And if he goes first, he just pulls doubles without knowing where he's landing and stuff like this. Nearly. It's insane. But he always lands perfectly and finds lines which I would never see on the first cycling lap. And yeah, just stop his stuff like that. He's, he's an insane rider. I think if he finds that one piece which is still maybe missing, He's going to be in in the top field all the time. That's for sure. Yeah, so he's just got to sort of fine-tune the race craft, which you've been able to do you know, with your mental coach and Pickle and some of this experience, I guess. And, and sometimes guys take longer to, to piece it all together consistently, right? Yeah, and he, I mean, he's 25 now. He's two years younger than me. So no stress, I would say. Yeah, you guys are still definitely... You know, it is a young man's sport, but that's a really good age, I think, those two. And, yeah, it was interesting with the Athertons. Like, you guys had these huge shoes to fill. Uh, did you ever feel it at any point? You know, with G not being at the races, Rachel as well. It was, like, left to you guys. That huge semi-truck, all the support in the world. Yeah, it was kind of weird, especially if we had a weekend where we both didn't do well. You sit there, like this massive truck, all the people around us, just so much work is getting put in just for us and we didn't deliver. 
it was yeah a weird feeling but i think since since last year it's it's definitely changed and he's doing his movie stuff rachel sometimes comes back for to win a world cup i don't know <laughs> it's crazy what yeah, she did this year yeah good point she might which, just pop in and quickly win a world cup yeah, which is kind of cool for us as well because it just takes everything away from us. I remember Lenzerheide, it was for me, it was just like, oh yeah, I'm not a, I'm not in the middle anymore. It doesn't matter what I do because all the lights are on Rachel. So it's kind of cool on both sides, I think. Yeah, definitely. No, it's been awesome to see and it's nice to come over to the pits after. Yes, when you guys do well, but even when you don't, like the vibe's pretty cool with you and, and Ben and Charlie. Everyone's so friendly and cool family atmosphere, which is what the team was built on, right? And it seems like they've, they've sort of taken that further. What what about you and, and, and your relationship with your mechanic? And it ha- it's not secret. Your bike setup, some would say, is steeper than, than other bikes. Like you guys seem to work on what really works for you, you know? Um, yeah, bikes are a little bit different from Charlie to mine. Mine is a little bit steeper than his bike, like you said. And suspension is pretty much the same, I think. So now we do have different shocks settings. Yeah, but fork is quite similar. Um, but we work a lot together on testing. And I think we, we have quite a similar feeling. It's just my body position is further back. So I think that's why I like a steeper head angle. And Charlie is a bit more on the front, so he lo- he loves his slacker one. Just riding position makes a bit of a difference, I guess. Is that to maintain traction on the front tire? Yeah. I I tried to go slacker, and I can't do it. No chance. Every time I, I try to go slacker, I just start to lose the front wheel or just crash. So, yeah. I'd rather have a, a too steep head angle than too slack, that's for sure. Yeah, and how sensitive are you? Because I know, like at Worlds, you guys were playing with the fork setup and we're talking a PSI at a time. Are you saying go down a PSI or are you just saying I need it a bit softer and Ben's taking that information and making a decision? Or are you that sensitive that you say, oh, we're a PSI too hard or a PSI too soft? Um, I think I'm pretty sensitive. Not sure if I feel one PSI. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I need, let's say, two or three PSI to really feel the difference. But Ben is definitely helping me a lot sometimes. If I come down and I'm just telling him, I know there's a steep section, I I can't get my front wheel up high enough in the steep or stuff like this. He's just like, oh, we had the similar feeling there. Let's change this. Let's try this. Or we go over to Jordy quick and talk to him. So Ben and Jordy are definitely helping helping a lot but most of the time it's just small stuff for me i'm not changing much in the season it's like one click of rebound maybe a volume spacer but that's like that's already a big change for me and one or two clicks of low speed that's pretty much it high speed compression for me is always the same the whole season you could glue it in for me i find a setting high speed compression in. that's it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, too much information is, can can be a problem. So that's good that that you can do it. So Rachel put out a quite a lengthy Instagram post. You might not have seen it, 
Is that the the last you think we see of Rachel? I don't know if it was official or not. Is there a world where we see her pop in at a race again to race? What are your thoughts of that? Wait, which one did I miss? I'm not too much on Instagram. I don't know. It was just like a. I missed something. No, I know. It was just like a thank you to the Duffy Bike Park and meeting her husband and all these memories and coming back to race and it's harder and harder. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I missed that she has officially retired. But it sounds like you never really know with her. Um, I don't know, to be honest. But I think Rachel doesn't know by herself. She just... <laughs> That's fair, yeah. ...does what she want to do. If she if she feels like she wants to race again, she races again. So, Which is kind of cool, I guess. But yeah, let's see. Maybe she's coming back next year again. I could I could see her coming back next year for more races. I don't know. It's really I have no idea. Maybe she as well. So let's see. Same with G. I have no clue what he wants to do. Yeah, no, I'm not even going to ask about that. On the side of Worlds, it sounded <laughs> like he wanted to get between the tape as well. But yeah, I text Alan here and there about Rachel. He's she's like I can't tell you because she can't even tell me. So <laughs> so yeah, you never know. That keeps it exciting. What was the rest of it the season sick. like for you then? Yeah, after a win, probably expectations raise or, you know, you're going to be confident, but how hard is it to keep the fire and the motivation? Um, I think I had actually a lot of problems this season after after Leoging. I mean, it already started in Lenza. I had a, I had a little problem on my knee afterwards, like a soft tissue, swollen knee, but... With physio, Wayne was there in Leo Gang, which helped me big time. So Leo Gang was all good. Then I went home to celebrate, which we definitely did. I think I maybe partied a bit too much after Leo Gang. Oh, nah, never too much. I mean, it was my first ever walk. No, ne- not after so, that. Yeah, I, I had a couple beers, and that's maybe a couple of days in a row, so... I wasn't feeling the best after Leo Gang, but we had to test something on the bike, which I thought we still can get better. And I kind of forced myself onto the downhill bike like five days after Leo Gang, I think, when we went to Schladming. And it was a weird day. I just met so many people on the parking lot and had to talk to everybody. And I was kind of like stoked because everybody's so nice to me and just saying congrats. But on the other side, I want to test something on my bike. I, I don't get anywhere because I'm just talking to everybody. And then they closed the track because there was a cross-country race where they uh, used some parts of the track and I couldn't do the section I wanted to do. And it was just a weird day. Then I did lunch break, went up for another run. It started raining. And I thought, ah, I'm going fast now. I don't care anymore. Went fast, crashed. And my knee blew up like hell. Like it was, I think, twice, maybe maybe bigger than twice the size. And I straight jumped up because Jordan Williams was behind me. And I thought, I can't show any weakness right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> jumped back up, rode down the hill. And while I was riding, I thought, oh, my God, something is not feeling good on my knee. Jumped behind the truck so nobody can see me pulled down the knee pads and it was already swelling up. You could see the blood is like running into the knee. 
straight called a surgeon I know really well. He's also a motocrosser. And he wasn't in the hospital. So he was like, yeah, 15 minutes, I will be there. And I think 20 minutes later, I was already having an, uh, how do you call it, MRT? Yeah, MRT, MRI, probably the yeah. scan to see inside. MRI, that's it, yeah. Yeah. So that, it was super fast, yeah. luckily. And they, they drained my knee. Luckily, there was no big damage like an ACL or anything. But from there on, I had a bit of struggles for the season. Just my knee was always a problem. I couldn't lift really well. I couldn't like do proper rides and stuff like this for a couple of weeks. And Valisol was was hard with the knee definitely. I was on painkiller all weekend. And from there on, I mean, Fort William was sick, obviously. That was a good weekend. And then Andorra came. Andorra, I thought, I'm all good again. My knee is healed. I can jump back in it, push like I did in Lenzerheide or Leogang, um, like to my very best again. Then the rain came for finals. I still tried to, I don't know what I tried on that day, um, get some points, crashed out, torn a ligament in my ankle. I was like, this is this is not happening, is it? So struggle was on again. Just couldn't train again. Had to just rest between the races all the time. And yeah, I think that was the kind of story for the whole season after that. And after... Was it Leger? Leger, I was, I was just in a crazy mindset, I think. Everybody just hyped me up in the team because they could see I'm a bit broken and just not feeling sharp. So Lloydy gave me some shit and said, um, I don't remember what he said, or maybe I should not say it. It's not the best. Um, Why not? He just said, he just gave me some shit. He like, three and a half seconds back or something. That's not too much, is it? And started laughing about me, I think. So I was, I was like, I'm going to show you some some riding in finals. So I think I just had a pretty good mindset in, in Leger. But after that, my, my body was not feeling strong anymore, I would say. Just not enough training. I think you need, you need some gym to keep your muscles quick and stuff like this. And snowshoe and montanina i definitely didn't feel like i felt on the beginning of the season and that's how i rode after that just a bit too safe sometimes and lose as well it was a weird one so yeah end of the season wasn't the best for sure yeah no it's it's i mean it's tough once you're nursing injuries and stuff but it almost goes from high highs to the to the low but looking back do you think a little bit of it was underprepared or cockiness like i know crashes can happen but you said oh it's raining i go fast anyway mm. like do you think you're on this high of the race like and then you just sort of are not listening to the conditions and your body in that moment and you're just like well you're so confident and cocky from what just happened a week ago you're like i got this and then boom crash happens maybe like a, a little bit call. yeah but then I always think about races like Montanen, Stevie Smith, or Aaron Gwynn, and they somehow made it possible. So I'm always like, why, why should it not be possible today as well? And Andorra was a bit of a weird one. It was super slippery on top. I nearly crashed big time at the first big berm, and then I saved it. And I was like, okay, 
we gotta stay safe. It's way too dangerous. Just bring it down. And then track got better again. It was like more dusty. I thought, oh, okay, let's start pushing again. Maybe there's still something possible. And I was back on a sick run. I was like, oh, sick. Maybe it's still still good and we didn't lose too much time on the top. And I got back into a mindset where I didn't think about anything. So I was in the flow state, I would say. And I exited the turn like faster than I actually did in the dry and had too much speed for the next turn. That's it. I think it wasn't a big deal, but I definitely could have played the safe card for this one because there was not much on the line anymore. But you you don't know it when you're up there, especially I was one of the first guys in the rain, so they didn't tell me, Andy, don't push too hard, just bring it down, think about the overall. I was thinking about the overall that I can gain some points there. Well, I mean, in a race circumstance, I wouldn't say like there's much hindsight because, you know, you're under race circumstances. It's you're a racer. You want to kind of push as hard as you can and, and you can misjudge these conditions for sure. And But it was interesting you said like Stevie could do it or Gwyn could do it. And it's under those race circumstances, I think, is when you're switched on or maybe the flow state comes on and you're just so present in it and attacking so much that subconsciously um, your body reacts and you can do these amazing runs. But in practice, I don't know if a test session at Schladming, you can be as switched on as as a World Cup race run. You know, that do you think you can? Like you're saying, oh, well, these guys could do it then. I'm like, well, shit, Andy, it's a test session at Schladming. Yeah. No, definitely. I think the mindset I have at a race is so different to everything else. I never get to the same mindset for... Uh, time training at home and stuff like this it's definitely a totally different feeling and when i did my knee in schlappning i should have just not jumped on a bike and i just talked about it with pecky the other day he was talking to me in the day in the morning and he was thinking about telling me don't get on the bike today but didn't do it because i think he was already telling me off a couple other things stop drinking maybe <laughs> maybe yeah hey man yeah, i was i was when in a different young, zone you've got to enjoy these things that's it you hear it so many times someone is um winning a race and then not celebrating afterwards and then they regret it i rather celebrate good and then regret i celebrate too much maybe <laughs> oh, that's funny no, and each ride is different, but it's so interesting how you can be so switched on and then a week later, a little bit of rain and a stupid crash and then the knee happens, you know? In a turn, I built. I made like an inside line in the berm, so that was a corner I built. <laughs> That's the, that is the universe certainly screwing with you, teaching you some sort of lesson, yep. you know? I don't think it's going to happen the next time you test. You'll probably go, I'm tired. I'm not prepared. I was celebrating or whatever it is, you know. And, and But it comes with age. Miriam Nicole, I was chatting to her a lot. She was on the podcast and she's had a lot of crashes where she says, well, if she was smarter or f- more balanced and just stopped a few runs before, maybe wouldn't have happened, but she would just keep on pushing. You know, it's like an athlete mindset. Keep on pushing. More is better, yeah. more is better, but sometimes sometimes it's not. Well, I think for like people like her and me, I think that's why we need people from the outside telling us 
they see, okay, we get into this state where it could be dangerous, maybe say something, don't get on the bike. Pecky does that a couple of times. My trainer as well, just keep it easy. It, just because you get on the bike today won't make you better for the next race. Like Fort William, me and Charlie both had a week off fully. We both couldn't train or anything, and then we got one, two in the world. So, Oh, well, what's the point of training then? Yeah, true. <laughs> no. like I told my trainer, why are we doing all this training gonna, stuff right now? Yeah, I think I'm going to start a training company and, and uh, just put nothing on the program. No, but that <laughs> that is, but I know where that comes from. You know, in a season, if you've been riding a lot, you don't forget to how to ride a bike. Yes, if there was qualifying after you know three runs on the first day yes you need to be so sharp but you've got track walk and then you've got a bunch of runs to get up to speed sometimes and i think you've mentioned charlie was up to speed pretty early at fort will then you've got to manage that so yeah i think that's great to have a plan and and maybe outside people telling you hey today you're testing that's the goal you don't need to push maybe do a few less runs and you think you maybe aren't physically as good as you should be. Um, but you've got to make like a decision unemotionally before the time. Yeah, that's it. Just, I think you need to go into your practice and already know what you do. Or if you, if you plan to go fast and it doesn't feel good, just stop doing it. Because that's, that's all, all my injuries are coming from tiredness or just overtraining, which is pretty much the same, but Every time I was too tired and jumped on the bike, I got an injury. Is that like now in the new new Andy or back in the day as well, all those old crashes? Um, still, I would say. Broken elbow last year. It was in Davi Bike Park, Rebel Camp. I thought, I need to be there. I need to ride my bike because the Rebel guys are here and they pay for my hotel room. I need to ride, but I was ill. Still jumped on my bike, nearly fell over the bar at the first little rock drop. And I thought, well, I'm not feeling good today. Kept on riding, nearly had two more crashes, not going fast. And then just fully uh, nosedived on the easiest jump of the bike park, broke my elbow. So it's still a thing I need to be careful with. Shit, that's crazy. Eh? I mean, that's what hindsight is for. You've heard an English saying hindsight. It's a perfect science, right? It's easy to look yeah. back and know you shouldn't shouldn't do it. And you can't also you can't buy experience. You've got to you gotta crash a bunch of times, you've got to learn the hard way, and then hopefully that's hopefully you take the lesson. Yeah, hopefully I, I got it now. Hopefully. <laughs> so um not sure when this one will exactly air, but we'll be into the off-season pretty good. And you've started your prep for the 2024 season? Um, yeah, I'm two weeks in now. I had like two weeks fully off where I went to Thailand. And before that, I just did like motocrossing and riding, whatever I want. So two weeks in now, a lot of gym. My trainer is killing me. Today I had the gnarliest gym session of my life. I told him and he said, oh, you're going to love this one in four weeks. He will laugh about it. So I'm not sure. But it's good to be, be back training. I think there's a lot of things I need to work on this year because of my, my leg on the right side is still not the best from that crash. Uh, it's a bit of a weakness, I would say. 
um, lot to work on there. And I actually go to the APC in a couple of days, uh, test with Ripple, which is super cool to have the opportunity. And then go to New Zealand in January, mid-January. Oh, nice. And uh, who are you going out there with? Is the team going to go as well, or are you just going to do some riding and off-season training? Uh, yeah, Ben, my mechanic, is already there. He bought a van and is living in there, I think. And luckily, he also brought my uh, his toolbox, so he can work for me and Charlie a little bit. Charlie is joining, Joe Breeden and Ronan Dunn. We rented a little house there, so I think this should be a good trip. I think quite a a good mixture of people there with Ronan, Charlie, and Breeden. Especially Ronan. Could Ronan be a wild was one. just here. <laughs> yeah, Ronan was just here in South Africa. I didn't see a crazy amount know, of riding, man. so um, I'm sure he'll do some riding there, though. I, I saw some other stuff on Snapchat. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> there was stuff He's on a legend. Oh, I didn't see that stuff. Yeah, no, I, it's uh, refreshing to see for sure. Okay, so you've got uh, some fun coming ahead. And how long are you going to go for? Um, a month. Yeah. A, a month. Pretty much perfect, I think. Yeah. Otherwise, it's too long. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know where the gym is there, so I'll, I'll send notes on where the gym is so you make sure you get some training in and don't just <laughs> get dragged up the, the runs all the time. I should not do the same like six years ago. Just laps, 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 laps. I should be a bit cleverer now. You probably you you probably will the first first day. I mean the riding is so good there. Yeah. I think Peckle will not be happy if you just do runs, 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 runs. No, he's he's gonna be and are you gonna, on it and check in what I'm doing. You're not gonna I haven't looked at the dates. You're not doing the crankworks or anything there as a preseason. Nah, I thought about doing it, but I think it's quite late in March. Like beginning, or is it beginning of March? I don't remember. But to me, it doesn't make too much sense to go to, to that race because so many World Cup races there, and I think I want to do well. And then I maybe try to go too fast, too early in the season, which never really helped me. I'd rather rev a bit later, go faster later than too early. Season is going to be long again till October with Monson in again, so keeping it easy. Yeah, and the first race is only May then, right? I think, or have I got it wrong? It's no. I, I don't know. May, I've looked at the schedule, yeah. but I didn't study it. Yeah, so it's only yeah. May. Yeah, like the March New Zealand makes sense when it starts early in April because then you've got to get sharp, sharp. But yeah. Europe, you'll be able to ride in Europe and probably testing with the team beforehand. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think we go to other tracks like um, Pampilosa, is it called Pampilosa? No, it's called different. Ponte de Lima, that's it. Ponte de Lima, San Remo, stuff like this. Go testing there. And I think the tracks are probably a bit more similar than Rotorua. I don't know, the track was weird when I was there. Different track now, it still doesn't look like a track we, we race on. So, yeah. And um, what do you think of the format this year? Mm. Mm. On the beginning, I was a big <laughs> fan. <laughs> I thought Why? more racing is sick. I just thought, sick, let's go. We're going to have more racing and more time on the TV. Pro is maybe going to bring more money for the future. But for me, I started to struggle mentally. 
to just put down a run or put down a heater twice on the day. So I think I never did too well in semis, except Lenzider where I crashed. And from there on, I learned I need to go a bit slower in semis to do well in finals. And for me, it just took away the the whole spirit a little bit sometimes. Like, let's say Snowshoe or Montsenen, you already knew who is going to be really good on that day. Especially like Snowshoe was maybe more surprised, but... I think you always knew, okay, them boys are going to be fast. It's probably going to be the same show again, just different a little bit. But I think it just took the hype away from the whole whole thing. And I think it's also a bit too dangerous because more injuries, I'm pretty sure. And yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. It's too long. Especially for viewers yeah, that's, at home, no, it takes that's six fair. hours, I think. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to say, well, it's too much racing, so it's not good. Um, and everyone has their own opinion, but I I, I want to hear what the riders. I mean, they're the ones having to do it. So for the guys in thirtieth to sixtieth, they got some airtime, right? So that's a positive, and for the broadcast, they can show more viewer numbers. But it is a different strategy, right? Like you had to adapt to this new strategy and you learned, shucks, if I really go hard in semis, it's tough to like step up for finals. I'd rather, so you would rather have to step up quite a bit, but not have gone too crazy in semis. Like even if you qualify eighth, you're like, well, I'm, I, I know I'm going to go crazy in finals. I don't mind that I got eighth. Like could you mentally adapt? Um, Accept that. Okay, I'm in ninth. I'm in eighth. Doesn't matter. I'm here for the final. Uh, especially Leo Gang. I played a bit of the safe game in semis. I think I was ninth. Yeah, ninth. And for me, it was all good. I think it was not 2.7 back of first place in semis. And for me, that was like, that's that's perfect. I know I can go faster than this. So... If it's not too much, maybe it depends. If it's two more seconds, which is maybe not a big difference in your riding style, but just two more mistakes, I would say, and then it's five seconds, then you're like, oh my god, I'm five seconds back. I'm not, I'm not doing good today. So it's a bit of a game you need to be careful with, I would say. If you go too slow, it might just destroys your mental game. And then you don't go fast in finals. But if it's the perfect amount, so you know, yeah, I saved there a little bit. I saved there. So I'm exactly on the same pace like P1. It's all good. Yeah, that's similar to the old format when qualifying was on the same day. Um, on a long track, yeah, I guess so, yeah. some people would definitely hold, hold back. Someone like Greg was super fit. He was able to do two pretty damn good runs. That was his strategy, right? Other riders would chill a little bit knowing like they're going to fight in the finals um so that's where the story wasn't just so clear but now with so many points on offer and like you said like daniel is about that one run um and now the story's kind of unfolded quite a lot and it's the overall is not only about the finals it's a, it's how many points you can get in semis as well so 
yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. What do you think most riders? I mean, you must talk to the riders. What does Charlie think? Do do the riders want the semi to stay? Um, I think Charlie was pretty much the same than I was. He was a fan on the beginning, but on the end, he was he was also not the biggest fan about it anymore. Um, but I mean, I'm in the riders group and the riders association, and I know everybody's not a fan of it. I mean, maybe there's two or three people, but I don't see anybody who is like fighting for it or is like, this is sick. They're like, yeah, I like it, but there's nobody, nobody's a big fan of it. Most of, most of them are hardly against it, I would say. So if my opinion, they should drop semis already now. They tried it. It didn't work, I would say. I mean, for top 30 to 60, it was good because they had uh, some time on TV. But on the other side, it doesn't help much. And they need to build up a second series for something like this. It's a top 30 final. It was already top 30 final this year. And if they get rid of semis and do top 30 next year, it will be the same for me, I would say. It's not a difference if you race for 31st. Yeah, but do you but think... I, I think they should go on a top 45. Top 45 for the final. And then maybe there's yeah. um, a pre-record of the first 15. And then the hot seat run can be shown. Because I still think that's a story. I think there's more of a story coming on air and saying this is the hot seat, this is the run, there was commentary, so you like it's it, it feels like a live run. And that builds a suspension. It sets the tone of the pre-show, like this is what's happened, this is how fast someone can go. And then the top 30 are live. Because you shouldn't, you, you probably... I don't know. I don't think you're going to get the winner from the first 15. Hopefully not, you know, for the yeah. story. But even if he did, you have the run. That's still a story. Like, wow, the 44th qualifier got himself on the podium. Yeah. So look, everyone has an opinion. Think, and obviously you guys in the group and you're dealing with speaking to the organization. So hopefully there's a, a nice, happy medium for the health of the sport, you know, because you were a guy that needed top 60 to be in the final. Benoit was a guy that needed the top 60 in the final. Bernard Kerr was was oh, that to gain the I experience, mean, I, to become the racer you are. I needed I needed a top 80 to be in the final in the beginning. I couldn't qualify for top oh, me 80. Me too, technically, as a junior. I did it. <laughs> Dude, that was hard times. Holy shit. Um, I was 77th when I qualified the first time. And I didn't qualify five times before that. So I think it's definitely for the health of the sport, it needs to to stay higher than 30. But I, what I just wanted to say, it was already top 30 final this year. I don't see any difference about giving them a, a second chance, but it's a top 30 final anyway. But they should just reduce the number from 60 slower, not just go 60 to 30. Like fifty percent away, it's big drop. And it if they just make it thirty second um, start interval or let's say a minute for twenty riders, if you do top fifty, that's twenty minutes. That's nothing. So weather change would not be a big thing, and it's still twenty more people to race, which is good, I guess. So yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. I mean, but do. if you don't Hopefully have a semi, they... you have. You, 
you have a lot of time if you don't do a semi. If if everyone agrees or it can work for broadcasting and the, you know, and they want to grow the sport their way, that's fine. You guys are important. You should have an opinion, um, and there's maybe a middle ground. Um, so, do you think there's a world yeah. where they drop it? I did ask Miriam that. I think she can't say yeah. as much yet. But do you think there's a world where they could say we tried semis? We're gonna just change the format guess, again or something like that. I guess I'm also not allowed to say too much, but there's Fair nothing enough. said yet. Crazy, but um, there is days where they can change rules, but they're already over. But I think they could change the rule again. I I don't really know, but I think if they want to change it, they can change it now as well, and. I think it would be the right right idea, especially whether this year we had problems to put semis and finals on one day in Andorra. If we just would have had uh, finals for the whole weekend, it would have been way easier, I guess. And just in general, people watching on the day, it's also just such a long, long day. Nobody's watching semis and finals straight. Maybe if you have a broken foot or something, you watch TV for six hours, but nobody else does something else. My opinion. No, it's fair. I, everyone's got, got an opinion and you've got uh, a, uh, a right to a big one. You're at the top of the sport, but you've also been coming up through the ranks, so you will have a, a way less biased opinion to one side. You, you seem to be looking at it from from all sides and and that's that's a key thing, you know, is is to look at it from all sides and try to find something that can work, you know? And I also think so many people blaming them, like, Sammy sucks, why why did you do this, blah, blah, blah. They just blame them, like, so much. But on the other side, they just tried something which could have worked. Maybe it would have been really sick, but I think it didn't work. And they could have made the sport better. They just tried it, I would say, so... I would not blame them to do and that they did anything wrong. So yeah, just change it again. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, you're right. That's a good way to look at it. Like they did say that they are going to, and then how do you innovate without trying? How do you innovate without making mistakes? Same as an athlete. If you're not willing to make mistakes and try something outside the box, we will never know. Um, so you're right. They took a lot of heat for that, but they, they, they had to deal with a lot this year, taking on the organization of the race and then uh, 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 trying a new format, uh, whether they stick to it or not. Like it, it is a lot. So a lot went well as well. And, and it was one of the best years of, of racing we've definitely seen. So um, what's exciting about the future for downhill? What's exciting? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, what I just wanted to say as well, I think I remember... When everybody, when everything switched to Red Bull, I think people were hating Red Bull as well because Freecaster was, Rob Warner was, I think, shouting way different than on Red Bull. And then people were complaining about Red Bull TV. And now they just do the same again. They just need some time. They need to listen to us as well, I think. Need to listen to the viewers and it will get to a sick, or it will end in a sick thing for sure. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's really well put, I would say, is uh, people do love to bitch and moan. That's like, uh, it's it's fuel. It's like yeah. putting gasoline on a fire. 
someone bitches, yeah. you agree. So that's the easy part. Uh, if you take my world champs run, if you would have not made that mistake in the woods, you would be world champion. Yeah, but the rest of the track I had absolutely perfect. So what about that? Just the one mistake, yeah. They always see the negative side. And if you didn't... never see the positive side. Yeah. And the positive is you made a mistake in Gang and it fueled your fire to push down the bottom. Maybe you wouldn't true. have pushed so much, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, well, there's a silver lining in everything if you're willing to look for it. And I certainly think you have those sort of positive outlook and appreciation. You've spoken about it before. So I, I just want to say keep trying to have that that attitude, man. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you a, a long, long way if you're able to keep that. Thank you very much. Now, I think just being grateful about everything you have, family, friends, racing, um, I think everybody should appreciate what what you got in life, and life is beautiful. So, yeah, why why should you not see the good good things? There we go. I was watching. Uh, I did get sucked in, and it was a reel, but it was a comedian, and he was like, "We are here for a very short time. We should be having as much fun as we can." And and life is hard, and and people have it a lot worse than 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 us. So I'm not trying to preach but i think that's a great way to end is is to to have to have gratitude i'm i'm grateful you wanted to come on and uh i appreciate being so so quick with your response and we got it done straight after the holiday so thanks to you man i'm also grateful to be here sorry for the four minute delay oh nobody knew that <laughs> oh no dude you thanks for having me anytime so andy was a very apologetic that he was four minutes late being Austrian. So he was really, he failed at being on time for the podcast. So <laughs> for that, for the, for that mistake that you've now put in the, you'll have to come on again at some point, I think. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, uh, we're grateful to all the listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you go follow him on Instagram and uh, follow his career from now on. And uh, we are on YouTube. So if you're watching this on YouTube, thanks so much. And if you're not, please go search Moving the Needle podcast. We're giving away some awesome Crank Brothers shoes and pedals to one of the first thousand subscribers. You know what else to do. Share it with a friend. That's the biggest thank you can do. Till the next one. Peace. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, 
recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and none of that nasty chemical, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle, that's again drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well.